Good to see all of you this evening, whatever time you may be joining us. The title of the Dharma talk tonight is Petty Mind. Petty meaning, I don't know what the dictionary definition is, but it's, it's petty. It's, it's a big to do about nothing at all. It's petty, inconsequential as far as what is being showing up, but then we magnetize, magnify it into something special, something happens that we don't like, or we do like, possibly. But the self-centered mind, the ego mind, the narcissistic mind will do anything to have some kind of control and will settle for any kind of discursiveness, even any thoughts, any ideas, criticisms of others for the way they talk, or criticisms of ourselves for the way we function. Now we can't, just can't quite get it right. So, steady. <clears throat> and as you've heard me say many times, not about correcting that, not about moving in and trying to manipulate that to be a better non-petty person. What is important to do is to be vividly aware of that function that we're referring to as as being, excuse me, sometimes they say a cheap shot, as a cheap. You could say it's impolite, you could say it's undignified, you could say, you could say, you could say, you could say lots of things about it. It is a reference that Chogyam Trungpa the Dorje Jala Mukho used quite often in his Dharma talks. Hey. Taking, taking the, the fundamental nature of our consciousness, our awareness, this incredible spaciousness that we were given as human beings, this incredible ability to just accommodate everything, anything, our thought patterns, the actions of others, the flight of birds, accommodate that, though. include that. But instead, the ego mind wants to fill it up with a bunch of crap, a bunch of stuff. So being aware of that, the temptation of the ego mind is to improve, to get better, not be so petty. And of course, we just Turn that off, that might be workable. But that seems to fall into the category as we refer to here and that Joe Young Trump coined in the title of the book, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, using spiritual techniques to using you know, spiritual techniques to gain some accomplishment, get somewhere, so so to speak, in a relative sense. Simple idea. Everywhere. We're doing it all the time. We might even sit down and meditate for an hour or two and get up and say we had a terrible meditation that was not comfortable. That might be just the description. But then if your addition onto that is that it should have been a good meditation, or why was it a bad meditation? Then we've actually left the original thought about it. The first thought about it was, well, this didn't feel so good might be the comment coming out of the actual feeling. You might eventually get so that you don't 
you see the pettiness, you see a, a crummy meditation, you do nothing with it. You don't even try to be someone else. You don't try to be a better meditator. But do you do? You intend to see the truth. Return to the intention. Turn to the vow. The vow to be with all things. How do you be, be with all things? No. So this particular topic is, I could say more about it, but it's we kind of petty. We want to learn about it. Uh, what we could do is have some questions around this, and that this way the talk might develop in such a way that would be personalized to maybe not just the person asking the question, but in a broader sense, other people who hadn't thought of that question. Go ahead, Shoka. Shoka bowing. Uh, when we have a, a petty mind or petty thoughts that are arising, is there any way that we can be kind to others when we're interacting with them? And you're having petty thoughts about them, like you're thinking they suck, but you have to be nice to them anyway? No. That's how it's done. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. You're the very resistance is that is observing someone who really is acting petty or has petty that is acting in, a, in that kind of way might not be so aware of it. It might be someone else that observes that or hears that or receives that thing and that's petty if they're but the person who's doing that is covering up their own discomfort by blaming others, by taking others up, uh, judging, evaluating others based on their perception of what's happening. Totally excluding any any situation with that other person that might involve a lot of resignation that arises in such a way that might cause that person to act that way. It might not be particularly sophisticated. So I think it's through intention. I feel that it's through intention. I know it's through intention. It's intention. And if you're on this path, this is the Mahayana path, uh, the open way. This is a path of putting others before yourself, saving all beings. We are to do that, but we need to do that any way. Return to that vow. Very difficult because we depends on where you're, how you're wired up to the whole thing, how your karma enters into this path in the first place, and how much you're operating out of fear. We all are operating somewhat out of that, but covering up quite often petty mind takes care of that. It just makes the whole thing. Another word for petty, not stupid. Petty, petty. Would it be like little mind versus big mind? A very little. Small minded would be a good that uh, Suzuki Roshi talked about big mind. Big mind is, doesn't particularly think. Little mind is always fussing something. Right? Like it, I don't like it, it's good, that shouldn't be happening, they shouldn't have Why did they do that? Why didn't they do this? They shouldn't do this. They should do that. We're all full of that. If you see somebody doing something, you think it's uh, misguided, which you have to use a polite word, uh, we're tempted to tell them about it. We might even interrupt them and say, I don't mean to be telling you what to do, but 
No, it's not that. Maybe. Is any mind when we're putting ourselves before others? Well, it would be on some level trying to produce instead of receiving what we see, we we uh, receive that in such a way that we immediately add right onto it our judgments about it, and then our our little uh, mindedness, pettiness, or commentary on that, without really knowing even uh, deeply what that situation would have. That showed up was brought about by what causes and divisions were underneath that. How that person had been, had been treated that caused them to act in such a way that uh, caused you or triggered you into being disparaging or petty. Chuchibang, a question from Chris Smith. What arose this topic? Pardon me? What arose this topic? It wasn't a rose, it was a tulip. You know what arose it? What arised it? Now that may work there. Leavening. <laughs> it's just that mind is, you know, petty. I think you know to go into it. And then I were talking earlier this morning, and maybe I mentioned something, or maybe you did. And you say that would make a good, you know, top talking. Top talking? Yeah, top talking. <laughs> it's very good to have a top top talking when you're going to give up. Welcome talking. <laughs> so, Unio said something about it. I said, Eddie Mine. She said, that, that would be good to try to talk about. Let me do it again. <laughs> uh, topic. So, uh, I said, I think I said, done. We'll do that. But quite often, I'm thinking about the title of a Dharma talk. Five minutes before we did it. Sometimes I come in here and can't think of anything, so we do mountains and rivers, which is questions and answers. But if you look down through the Dharma talks I've given over the years, they all have different kinds of things. Sometimes it's um, anger, number 34, or mountains and rivers, number 14. So, Chris, we have another question around that. Maybe I could ask you, what caused you to act, ask about the talk topic? Talk topic. No, not that. Further questions, all, all kidding aside. Any, any, anything uh, about this that we can, that you can help me, that we can do this together? We can go into this and look more deeply into this based on understanding of, yes. Shokabine, is there any way that we can touch on the texture of what the pettiness is covering up. It's going to sound pretty familiar to you because it is. Continue to look at receive what it is without adding any, any commentary. Uh, if you add commentary, then we're right back into the spinning and samsara. Uh, and what, what fuels that is your particular intelligence, which you're an intelligent person. One here has a strong ability to reason and think understand in a relative way. It's so easy to get taken into that particular situation where you think you have to fix something or correct something or stop something. And this is why it's about seeing that. It's called a Dharma gate. Whatever shows up in your mind stream that is negative, as soon as you see that it's negative, Dharma gate. That means that's, that is a, a gate of truth. It's a gate where you can see what I encourage you to 
look at in your mind stream, do you want the truth or do you just want to feel better? If you want to feel better, you're listening to the wrong guy. If you want to be safe, you're listening to the wrong guy. The only safety I know of, relative safety, that from my own experience over the last long period of time is cushion. Sit on the cushion, look at it. It takes the, the conventional word bravery to do that because sitting on the cushion and watching our mind day after day, hour after hour, month after month, year after year, does not particularly feel like we're getting any. The, the materialism of the data I talked about is uh, just starts to collapse. So we might fill it in with petty mind, we might fill it in with fear, we might fill it in with any number of things. Criticizing others, criticizing people in the Sangha, criticizing the teacher. Critical, critical. Gunjabawin, how does engaging in petty mind then affect the three jewels? Well, it's cheating the whole thing, it's just another. Just another combination of ideas. So, what the meaning just makes it levels everything else, or everything you just you can't come up with a good word. Go ahead. So, maybe uh, further uh, is if we're caught up in that kind of circularity, thank you for this circular, then how. The desire is to want to cut into that. It is. That's ego. Even though the title of Vidyata's book is Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. It isn't exactly cutting. As long as there's a cutter. There's someone cutting. Well, then, then it becomes materialistic. But eventually the cutting just happens because your awareness of what is coming and going, including the petty mind, becomes so vivid. You no longer are trying to get rid of that situation. Not getting rid of the karma that you came into this life with, but actually living your life fully, completely. I don't say accept it, I'm saying receive it. It's much different than receive what happens. Don't miss your life by filling it up with any bullshit that might make you feel better temporarily for three days, eight days, five weeks, for a while at least. Well, at least I'm doing this and they're doing this constant jabber in our minds about it. Receive. If you really receive, one moment, if you really receive what this is and who this is and who you are uh, relatively, then you begin to see who you are ultimately. But not as long as you're trying to fix the relative me, the ego. That just takes a waste time, because time is also suspect. But it takes a lot of time to go around and blame others, blame other Blame your family members, even though someone in your family is being mean to you because they're suffering and they don't know how to get out of their suffering other than foist their suffering on you. And then it would be petty mind to whine and complain about them rather than see that they're suffering deeply. They might not have a spiritual path and they may not be interested in yours. Well, encourage anybody to do anything as far as training your mind. It's up to them. 
They sometimes say, make him drag it out of you. What are you doing? What, what are you doing when you sit and face the wall? How do you even do that? It looks pretty stupid. You could say, well, from a certain point of view, basically theirs, you don't see that part. It is stupid. It's just a, a judgment about something you don't see. If you really receive your life, receive the person that you, you keep showing up at, aspects of yourself that you don't care for, that are uncomfortable, your anger, your impatience, your tendency to, to not be able to control your, whatever you want to call it, small addictions or habit, habit, uh, habit patterns, not being able to do that. And then fighting with that, trying to stop that, control that, trying to not be this way or not be that way. If you, if you give up the war, give up the battle, and lose the war, if you lose the war, this is this is a begin may not be enlightenment, but it's it is the beginning of, of humility. This doesn't mean you're going to feel particularly humble, and it doesn't mean that other people are going to see you particularly as humble. Someone who's clear about what this is understands what humility is pointing to. No self. No self. Someone who has realized there is no such thing as humility because there isn't anyone. But to someone who isn't realized and sees someone who has realized, they may perceive it that way. Thich Nhat Hanh would be a good example. His Holiness Dalai Lama appears very humble as humility or is self-effacing into sometimes. I don't have to be one. When you're bowing to fully receive our life, could that bring us to our death, bowing? Death is already here. That comes without warning any moment you die. When you're bowing, so you say not to go to war with uh, like um, habit patterns or addictions. Does that mean indulging in them then, bowing? No, thank you. That doesn't mean going the other way and just filling up your pockets with whatever you want. It just means if you're on this path, then you can use that. You can use the, the awareness practice to see the nature of the confusion. See how passion, aggression, and ignorance, the basic three poisons teaching of the Buddha. You can see how that functions in you, how you grasp that some things clutch at them or manipulate them or want things to be different than they are. There's so many ways of doing that. Just running your mouth is passion. Talking about this, talking about that. Speculating. What do you think about what I'm thinking about what you're thinking? I don't know. What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking about what you're thinking about. How many times do we say to people, well, I don't want you to think blah, blah, blah. You know, as if you had some say-so about what you thought yourself. Don't hesitate to, I don't want you to think such and such. So it's about getting very, very aware of the way the mind works in, in yourself, seeing the way you react. Don't stop the reaction. Even if the reaction is to reach out and punch somebody, then you can't stop that. To watch the impulse, perception, impulse, perception, impulse. What is that? Third conduct? Third of the five skandhas, all of you probably studied the five skandhas. Perception, you see something and there's an impulse to do something about it. Add to it, subtract from it, or shut down on it. And if you can just watch that, 
just see that, just witness that, just observe that, and you'll see the way that works, and you'll see that there's no solid being there. That doesn't mean there isn't fear there. It doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of trepidation around that, a lot of uneasiness, because the ego does not want to be the person who is full of petty money. Doesn't want to do that, so it tries to get rid of that. And what happens then that goes underground and shows up as someone who's not petty or pride. It's, it can't squeeze happiness out of samsara. You know, is petty mind belief? I think there is some belief, like thinking certain things are true without really knowing the causes and dimensions behind them. So we might tend to evolve into just the offhanded comments, being petty about something. You know, we hear it in different places and it shows up in different forms. But just like talking and gossiping with someone else about how someone else is dressed or about their, their difficulty with speech. Just kind of just have something to chatter about. Criticize them. That happened right in this monastery. Early on, or a long time ago, there was criticism about other people not sitting. I said, and I said, I don't know if I said it in this way, but if you live in this monastery, you know what the schedule is, and if somebody is not sitting, that is their business. It's also my business. I watch somebody what they're doing for a long time before I step in and say anything about what they're doing. A person might be late to forms. What it is in the monastery is a monastery resident is required if they have a job or a doctor's appointment, or if they have a headache, or if they're tired, they didn't get any sleep last night because they were off all night studying the Dharma. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a lot of grins. In fact, everyone in here is good. <laughs> <laughs> they get no sleep, but that's valid. Why is that valid? Because people come here and say, I want to study this, and I, we make sure. Are you sure? I say, yes, I want to do this. I want to study. You're not required to be a monk, but you practice like, like a monk. You might practice more like a monk here than you would at Al-Sahara or, or Eiji, some of the other more classical oriented monasteries. Somebody doesn't show up, and gossip will start. This isn't so much anymore. We don't have too much gossip here. I'm probably the only one who gossips. It's easy to take somebody else's, as they say in AA, take somebody else's inventory about who they are, what they're doing. I say, mind your own business. You have no idea what it's like to be that person and have had. I'm just speculating. I've had a migraine night and just don't come in and tell anybody that they need to make excuses because they're an adult. They're not 13. have to report in. Quite often the training sessions of monks in past centuries have been parental. Lots of macho energy over the top of people rather than respecting their intelligence and treating them as adults or as intelligent. Let's put it that way. Even an eight-year-old is not an adult. They have a kind of intelligence that is ignored. I mean, modern education is just go in, memorize all this, and then take a test. I'm not saying it's all that way, of course. But a lot of it is passing tests. Why? 
They want control and need to make money. Not particularly the Bodhisattva path, not the Mahayana as I understand it. Further questions? Is the impulse the leading edge of the heavy mind? Louder, please. Is the impulse the leading louder. edge of the heavy mind? Say it louder. Is louder. the impulse Say it louder. <laughs> the edge of the petty mind? Now repeat what you said. Is the impulse the edge of the petty mind? Yes. <laughs> Another question from Chris Smith. Okay, Chris, this better be good. What stops saving all beings from being petty? So I'm not sure what the foundation of your vow is. It's like uh, trying to know what the foundation of the meaning of this talk. Uh, anything can be petty at some point. I would say. Realizing it's the true import, saying, saving all beings. And you cannot do that with the intellect. You can't do it with your intellect. I can't do it with mine. It has to be seen. And if it's seen, then the one who sees that functions as a teacher and can point that out to students. I'm not saying you can't do this without a teacher, uh, but uh, chances are pretty slim. Invent your own idea of enlightenment and then convince yourself you're enlightened. And if you're really smart, uh, like I presume you are, Chris, the way you handle language, you'll turn yourself into a Dharma teacher and you'll convince a lot of people. I'm not saying you're doing that. Be very careful, very tentative about the, the intellect and the way the intellect can just take over and discover uh, some kind of relative truth that looks very polished and fancy. You can read uh, Jeffrey Hopkins, you can read Carl Unhosel, you can read uh, any, uh, any teachers. Uh, what's uh, uh, the other one? Um, I can't think of his name right now that wrote on the religion. This might be Matra. Lusthaus, Dan Lusthaus is another one incredibly intelligent. And can, if you go through that material, it's like, I'm never going to, if this is what enlightenment is, <laughs> I'm never going to get it. Because it's so labyrinthine, is that a word? Labyrinthine? Labyrinthination. Lab Labyrinthinative. That's yeah. like the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> you won't have to, I'll tell you. I make that up. So, but it's, a, it's someone who is highly accomplished and, and has been born with a strong intellect was able to take this material and stretch it in such a way and actually get in the way of their own liberation because they're so smart. They can actually discuss it and talk about it and it's sound very erudite because uh, well, they think fast. In this, in this way, thinking kind of gets in the way of that, as it says in the 30 verses of Nasabandu. I don't know. Kishou, uh, can you can you quote that uh, line? I know you can do it in Sanskrit, but then you'd have to translate it for us. Uh, where they where he Vasubandhu is basically saying that uh, well, you know what he's saying. He's saying you're not going to get it. 
How did he say that? Kishawang. Uh, I presume you're talking about verse 26, where just by positing something in front of you, you don't, uh, uh, yeah, you're still in a duality. Bingo. That's it. Now say it in Sanskrit. Yavad vijnapti matratve vijnanam na avatishthati grahad dvayasya anushayas thavanna vinivartate. Anushayas, what does that mean, anushayas? Uh, anushaya is, uh, I think, to uh, see or observe or. Yeah. Vinyapti matra, was that one of them? Yeah. What is vinyapti matrata? What does that mean? Just vinyapti matra. Okay, just consciousness only. Yeah, just consciousness only. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. Now, there's a smart guy. Do you think he's enlightened? <laughs> I get to pick on uh, Chishou because he's a student of mine. Very close one. Other questions? Um, in relation to that, uh, I think one time you said be simple-minded and put others first. Yes. When we're endeavoring to put others first, what does it mean to be simple-minded? Just, just there, you're just there. Here's a person, I'll, I'll make a story. Here's a person in front of you who's doing something that you don't think is particularly appropriate, but it's not really harming anybody, but yet it, it seems to be a misunderstanding of, of something. And rather than uh, jump in there with your petty mind, you go around in your own, the texture of your own thought patterns, even though you don't say anything, you don't produce anything, you're producing it in your own mind. So your mind is still petty, even though you haven't. Spitting at the person in your commentary. And at that point, include everything. You're already receiving the thought patterns coming out of the dependent origination, which is your particular style or anyone's. Include everything else. Include gravity. Include the color of the person's shirt that you're looking at or you're listening to. Just just the texture of your of your world. Be in the world. Don't mess just because it's, uh, there's no, there's no uh, ice cream you know, arising in the sense of taste. That doesn't mean you should be aware of the sense of taste. Even the Tibetan, uh, the Tibetan tradition, one of the teachings in uh, Tibetan is rochig, which means one taste, one taste, one act, somebody, one act, one, one seeing, one taste, but how can we abandon the space of that, including everything? How can we abandon that space when it's uncomfortable for the space of, or for the discomfort of the pettiness? What? <laughs> you better get together, man. How come? We, I'm going to turn you over to Chris. It seems like when the petty mind arises, it's, it's really uncomfortable, but I prefer that discomfort over the discomfort of including everything else. Mm -hmm. So what's the... Yeah. Just, uh, very well said. So what am I hearing here? My one word for it, what I'm hearing is awareness. You're aware of that contrast. Otherwise, you can't say it, even though you stumble around first. You're feeling... 
you're aware of that. You're aware of that contract. So don't do anything with that. So just the awareness is what's important, not what arises in the awareness, even if it's evil, even if it's terrible, horrible feeling. Don't miss your life. If what shows up in your mind stream is dependently risen, it needs to be there. I'm not condemning you to anything. I'm just saying that you can do it. You can handle anything. You might say handle, you can allow anything to come through your through your uh, brain pan, through your mind, through your consciousness. It's an open dimension. But you won't be able to do that as long as there's some kind of uh, claustrophobia based on fear of, of not knowing if you're safe or not, or not knowing if you're just all that not knowing. We, we tend to clamp up and close it off, off rather than the, the way to, as I say, don't miss your life, to be, be the person that you are. Be the, uh, also say, be the crap you're trying to get rid of. I need the more intensely than that, but not trying to get rid of something you don't even understand. Actually, someone said, uh, I think it was Yogito, is she here? Where is she? That's not Gilgado. Take off that mask. <laughs> so Gilgado asked me a question, uh, sent me a text. She's always looking for some kind of a mistake. Right? Gilgado. And she says, so if you, if you haven't given up anything, am I close? Then have you, say you haven't given up anything, but uh, something about, uh, I said earlier in today, I think it was a dude, where I said, uh, Somewhere else, I said, uh, uh, I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a famous artist way before I met my teacher. I was trying to find something to do that was important to be famous. And I, I even painted paintings, and those sucked. But I just kept painting them anyway because I kept thinking, well, if I just keep trying, I'm bound to get better. Uh, but you can't have paintings that suck and then get better and be a genius. And I want to be a genius. You know, those are one of those great, wonderful people that. Nobody any longer criticizes and thinks it's just, you know, like uh, Paul Alame or Verlaine is another poet, Arthur Rimbaud, Charles Baudelaire. I want to be somebody like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Garden gnome saying? And she said, that's Gilgado, she said, what did you say? Spit <laughs> it out. Yoko Wang, I said, if you're not trying to get rid of anything, what happened to the desire to be somebody famous? Bowing. What did I say? You said you didn't get rid of it. It just went away on its own. You get rid of anything. You don't have to get rid of anything because all of it is unreal including your narcissism, including your shame, including your doubts, including your jealousy. Unreal. But you have to stop fueling it. And how do you feel it? Petty mind. Petty. We're petty with ourselves. There I go again. I never can get anything right. Or he, he likes her more than he likes me or loves me. It's just crazy. I love everybody. That's pretty frightening. I love all of you, even the ones I've never met. So, that's scary. Ooh. 
and it might because unconditional acceptance or not even acceptance but unconditional relating to somebody where they're at where they're at where they're at where they're at right where they're at not trying to get them to be a more enlightened being the only thing i'll say to you that might be feel like a little pressure is train your mind i'll help you but with your permission if you don't give me permission mind my own business i'll stay away you'll never hear from me again but if you invite me to come teach you to help you think this out then i say start out by giving me the benefit of the doubt and then at some point you're going to have to trust me because it's going to get worse it's going to get more and more challenging the closer the fire the teacher gets to your ego which is made of great paper even less than that it's unreal it doesn't even get burned up unreal it feels threatening i know I have, my, my teacher was, my root guru was a Mahasiddha, great master, someone who was criticized by society who does not, who do not understand who he was and what he did. They just pick on, they pick on the little things that he did. I heard that he tortured a calf. Hearsay. Perhaps he did. Maybe that cat needed, that's the only way that cat could meet that Mahasiddha to get out of the animal realm. I'm just making up things up, but you can make up things too. It's called petty mind. Or it's called boy. Yes. Earlier you were saying that even if we're not hooking up our voice, there's still a kind of production of petty mind. Um, in the mind stream. Um, how can we not fuel it if even that's some kind of circularity below the surface? That's, that's where uh, Shikandaza is so sitting down because then you're relatively by yourself, in front of a wall, take a symmetrical posture, hold still, and you watch the chatter come and go. And it takes a long, long time. You can't just be a weekend warrior. Just meditate now and then and just I would even say when you feel bad, that's not the time to meditate. It's the time to take a nap. Or go watch a movie. If you feel bad. Relate to it as it is. When you feel good, when it's that's the time to learn how to ski. Not in the middle of a snowstorm. Wait till the weather's nice and the snow is just right and learn how to ski. When you feel good, that's when you should meditate. You can't meditate away negativity. It's a great poor idea. Christina Bowing? Yes. Um does our external environment or can it contribute to our petty mind coming online at a greater amplification? Um, paraphrase your little, yourself a little bit so I can get an idea of what you're referring to. If I'm listening to something where somebody's very cranky and critical and will I experience the petty mind at a greater volume in my own brain pan. You could. You could. The, the, the causes and conditions behind that whole scenario you just uh, created are extensive and untraceable. So it could show up that way. What is your question? What does he want to know? I mean, Do I, I 
Okay. Do, do I need to control my external environment, be more careful about what's in my external environment so that the petty mind isn't coming online so much? Thank you, Christina Bowing. Uh, and I would say, Christina, I would say, this is what a, what a meditation hall is for. It's what your, your altar is for. These are, not, these are not holy objects that are to be venerated particularly. From the point of view of sacredness, everything is sacred. There isn't anything that isn't sacred. But we may need to venerate something, a teacher, uh, uh, an object, or a figure of the Buddha, in order to encourage us to go that direction. The fundamental understanding is uh, this shows up in the Zen tradition, like if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. It doesn't mean kill somebody. It just means that you aren't going to see the Buddha anywhere. You can't see the Buddha somewhere else. But you're the Buddha. This is the realization that he pointed at 2,500 years ago. And here it is again. Am I making claims? No, certainly not. Am I making promises? No. He's saying, you find out. You look at it. Or not. Or do something else. So yes, your environment is important. Set up a place where you can practice. Try to keep the noise down. But don't shut it out. There's noise in the street. You can include that. But do the best you can without struggle or aggression to create a, a place to practice so you can see the petty mind in its raw state rather than in, the, in its closed state, in its prepared state uh, in relationship to other people in society, in your relationships and so on. More difficult to work with it there. More difficult to be in the midst of uh, difficulty or conflict between people, arguments and so on, and not have the petty mind come up. But if you're training your mind in solitude, which might be just mean your bedroom or your your meditation room or or the monastery for that matter, uh, if you're training yourself to see very clearly what comes and what goes without adding, subtracting, or dividing, this will cut through. To use that kind of metaphor, will, will cut through the the umbil umbilical cord of petty mind, the where it's getting its fuel from, and it'll be stillborn. Just be, you know, crummy metaphor for it, but it's like that. It gets started, but you see it so early because you've been training your mind. You see it, and it's not, it does not, it will not feel good. It feel better, feel better to just have a petty mind and make remarks and under, under your breath about other people or to yourself or not even say them out loud. It may feel a lot worse to acknowledge the ego, to acknowledge that you're, you're full of yourself. And you're at the expense of others suffering because they, they're not as aware as you are, aware of who they are or what human beings are as you are because you've been practicing. Give them a break. You're aware, so you, you can take the heat. Your ego can take the hard feelings. You too. A question from Adriana in Kalamazoo. Adriana. Sometimes when I feel down, People who love me tell me that I am valuable. Do individual people have value or worth? Does that go against the idea that we are not separate? So that's it's a relative situation. Of course, people are going to try to cheer you up and tell you you're valuable and tell you tell you that you're loved. And it's a relative construct, and it's necessary. You need to do some of that. But it's a it's a mundane area. We need some of that, otherwise we would we would not flourish. As, as humans in, a, in, a, in society and in a family and in our cultural uh, situation. 
that kind of stuff is all over the place. It's difficult. There needs to be some of that. So, what was the, what was the fundamental question? Do individual people have value or worth? Does that go against the idea that we are not separate? Somewhat, but you have to start out where you're at. So you have to start out with being valuable, being worthwhile. As somebody said, uh, some place in the past where I read, you can't really transcend an unhealthy ego. The ego has to be somewhat healthy to be able to do anything at all with it. So to get, so the path begins with fundamentally getting some self-esteem, enough self-esteem so you can actually practice, so you're not uh, on the verge of ending your life or you're not using the negativity to make, make things more difficult for yourself. But I think it's a, it's a very situational, Adriana, and it's very, it's dependent. There's no way you can go out with a standard that is everybody should, this is the way it is. It's, it's very individual. I think in that area, less is better, but sometimes you might need a lot more. Uh, to say, for instance, somebody who's on the verge of taking their life, and you've somehow heard about that, might not be good to compliment that person, try to encourage that person. It might not be a good idea to do that. I'm not telling you what to do, but be very, very careful around anyone who seems to be anxious to get out of here. It seems to be. But go ahead, Gokuro. Gokuro Bowing, there's a text in the chat box from Katie. Um, her mic isn't working. Okay. What, what if I am in a moment? Of being petty and simply don't want to be mature, bowing. Well, I, I don't know what if it's like a well, well you're aware of that. But the downside is it probably doesn't feel very good. But the upside of it is that's that's how it is. That's you're, you're being petty and you just don't want to what, grow up or you don't want to be mature. However, you want to say that. I would say just be aware of that. More sitting, more, more, get to the wall more so that there's more, so the awareness has a little bit more, um, there's a, the amount of oxygen in the room is more than that which is breathing it. The, the dragon of ego, breathing of that air, where it's, uh, it wants to be the person who knows stuff, who wins, who does not lose, who comes up. Or it might want to be the person who just sulks because they're they're so petty and they don't really give it in. Another another way of doubling up on that negativity to make it support to make it continue to support the self centeredness, the narcissism, the ego. Look for the wall. Practice a lot, still a lot. Return to the Buddha the Dharma Sangha. Teacher the teaching. What about Others um, seeing or experiencing the teacher's unconditionality affect us? It would be different for each person. Um, people may not even see that. It may just, because of the way the teacher, any particular teacher may function, may seem extremely conditioned. They just want this and I want that and I want to control that, to control that. So, unconditionality. Do you want to say more about that? Wonder bowing, um, just that uh, 
being received, how does that impact? It'd be frightening if uh, if the teacher, as my teacher uh, in the early seventies, received me unconditionally as I laid out for him because I was at the end of my rope and I needed help. And I was I, I don't know if it was a confessional particularly, but anything I said, he just would come back with something encouraging me, not not trying to fix me or correct me or send me to a shrink or a it was the presence that was overwhelming me. But I was ready for that. I was in my early 30s and I'd been studying Buddhism on my own for all year, reading books or anything I could get on. He didn't have any direct teachings that I met him in the 1930s. So, if you want to paraphrase your question, that might get closer to what you're looking for. Linda, I am wondering about um, energy. You received, how does that affect a student's? Mm. Well, it's difficult to respond to that because it's so abstract. You know, what is energy? Receiving energy, you might see that at some way, that way, but someone else just might not show up that way, and yet their dedication or devotion to the teacher might be pretty strong. Sometimes devotion to the teacher shows up as fear initially. Mine certainly did. My, my desire, my wish to see the truth, especially having been through the labyrinth of being a failed artist, feeling terrible. So I'm not sure further question on that. Good question that needs to be think about. It. A question from Ted Smith. Who? Ted Smith. Chris is better. Smith Brothers Cough Drops. Remember those? That's from the 1940s. <laughs> he asks, could petty mind be viewed as contrast to make us more aware of our observation skills? Uh, could be. Could be, but I wouldn't go too far into that, into that area because it's we can we can substitute the thoughts around petty mind or the thought of what petty mind seems to be pointing to. We can we can elaborate on that. Your elaboration, your your description is is uh, something to that. But it's good to go into the actual texture of the petty mind before the you actually even call it petty mind. Once it gets into that bubble, then we mean. Someone who is petty, you might even realize that. Someone else might. That might be their observation then, or their observation of themselves. What about I? Can we receive being received? Can you paraphrase that? I know what you're saying, but I want you to paraphrase it so that I can repeat it. Trying to understand if we're re being received, how does our receiving or rejecting of that or inability to receive. Well as I said, it can be frightening to be to meet someone who who receives you unconditionally. They're not concerned about what you think of your faults or your and yet this person can see you completely. Meeting uh, 
Uncle Jay was like, uh, like meeting someone who could see your, your, your neurosis, could see your self-deception, could see all of your shenanigans. And I, don't, I don't know how to put it into words other than that was, that was the beginning of my devotion to him as a teacher, my guru. I'm not a guru, I'm a Dharma teacher, but I don't use that word because of all the accumulation of all the projections around that. Nirvana, can that build our awareness? So you can't really build awareness. All you can do is stop covering it up with fear, fear about this, uh, judgments about that, conclusions, opinions, ideas, concepts. We don't need to do away with all those things, but we need to see the way those cover up our uh, wisdom mind. Wisdom mind is always on the seed. Produces some, but it only produces it in, in relationship to Pratitis Anapada or dependent origination. It doesn't produce it as an individual, particularly, unless the individual aspect or the uh, ego aspect of that mind resurrects itself, so to speak, just because of that particular situation. So, so why the 16th Karmapa in 1981 said on his deathbed? Bearing around and said, nothing happened. Right, pointing at the mind. He was saying in a relative way, nothing is a relative statement about something. And it happens, it was his occurrence, nothing. It's an incredible illusion. You can't read that question. Can someone read the question in the box? Um, it's from Warren. Warren G. How can I tell the difference between thoughts and chatter? Bowing. Same thing. Just different intensity. The chatter has uh, has more of a jerky quality to it, and the thoughts are just more or less drifting. But you know, you don't from the. The way uh, I am talking about it here, it's just a matter of observing, not about getting rid of anything. Get rid of anything. Just watch what comes and goes, like clouds in the sky, fish in a pond, leaves falling from a tree, just the movement, just the movement, just the texture of the movement, rather than what the thought is about. What the thought is about causes us to come in and push, pull, or shut down on it based on hope and fear, passion, aggression, and ignorance, and so on. But you just watch that it, it you can say it depersonalizes. It still might be feel like your feelings or your thoughts, but there's more and more of an understanding of the makeshift quality of identity. It's unreal. There is no solid being anywhere. It has to be realized, not just taught through concepts and proven through uh, some kind of uh, uh, logic. Another question from Chris Smith. Yes. I find strange similarities between the monk and the ancient warrior path. To separate these two is this pettiness? Come on, Chris. No, it's not. Monk, you can have 500 people are all monks and they're all practicing in a different way, even though they're all Buddhist monks. They're all uh, <clears throat> someone who is dedicating their entire life to a spiritual path, as they understand. And the ancient warriors, uh, I don't know which ones you're talking about, but there's a lot of them. 
just a samurai warrior, that whole, whole culture, the whole macho Goju uh, Bushido, which you may be familiar with, it sounds like you may, is about you know, some kind of intense masculine pride, where if you're embarrassed at all, you know, the next thing you have to do is cut out your innards this way, that way, and down, and it goes, not fun. Very intense stubbornness to be in control. Right at the last minute, we actually take our own lives. I'm sure they're quite surprised. The consciousness is quite surprised when the pain disappears and the body goes with it, and they're just hanging there in, in an open dimension, uh, and perhaps wondering what the hell just happened. And then what happens to that? What happens to that consciousness? Consciousness does not have, even though we measure brain waves and science always talks about consciousness being this or that, we don't even know what it is. Can't know what something is unless it's something like a, have a description like a coffee cup. You can't describe consciousness. The only way even know there is consciousness is because forms arise in it. You mentioned thoughts or emotions, memory. Or bodies. This body is arising in thought, in consciousness. Don't believe any of that. Don't believe anything else. Forget everything else. Well, there's one thing you should remember. You might want to train your mind. Because time's running out. Even though time is an illusion, it's running out. Uh, Augie, go ahead. Keep bowing. Uh, could you talk? Maybe you did uh, talk about the connection between uh, petty mind and open fear. Bowing. Yeah, the basically it's a, it's a fear of too much space, uh, and that may show up differently with different people. And the person that the petty mind. Uh, arises in uh, nitpicking about this or that or complaining petty, petty ideas and thoughts about this or about that, about ourselves, about others. Uh, it covers up uh, fear. And that fear, when it, if you came right down to what the fear was, it's, it's the fear of uh, non-existence, the fear of fundamental threat. Uh, what is that depth? But, but there might be several layers before that we're covering that up with. And that's why facing a wall is so important, why training the mind so we begin to look at the depth, we look at the way consciousness works. We might not be able to explain it to our neighbor or even to our Dharma brother or sister or even to our teacher, but we have a, we're beginning to get a deep understanding of the way the mind works and the way consciousness is always seeking some kind of form. You have a question? You often see see the truth, but this seeing, isn't that seeing through experiencing? And what's the relationship between these two? Bye. So experiencing, yeah. So there's, there's a quality of experiencing. Uh, there's such a thing as experiencing, like you can have this kind of an experience, sound, you can have this kind of experience. Flowers. <laughs> Look 
did that at Kavana. Oh, did you take offense when I did that? <laughs> <laughs> so we had that kind of experience, but as we look at our mind stream, the, the experience that is so physical and it's so solid and, and substantial and that we all agree on. Uh, the only thing we agree on, and more rarefied levels, deeper levels of consciousness, that we might agree on, well, in a very simple, it's, it's in a very mundane way. But what are you thinking about? Well, I was thinking about going out and, uh, and uh, do some shopping. So those are thoughts that they, we have to actually talk about it instead of we all agree those are flowers, I think. And that's, a, that's a, the sound of gong, all pretty much agree. But the more we get away from the physical, solid area into aspects of consciousness, but they're still formed, it's not this kind, the form of thoughts, the form of emotions, it gets more and more and more uh, particular and more individual or personalized. We personalize it more and more. And so it's about as far as seeing the truth, uh, we're, we're going to have to look at a pack of lies for a long time, more than likely. And those those uh, deceptions or those cover-ups are in the mind stream. So it's just a matter of looking at it. If something shows up, uh, and see if you can see it just in its immediate form, just perceive it, rather than abandon it for what you think about it, or abandon it for covering it up, by it with a conclusion or a judgment or an opinion, we don't do anything with it, just receive, experience your life. Live your life, experience your life. Eventually, the experiencer, the, the, that, that aspect of consciousness that the Yogi Charans call the sudden consciousness out of the eight, that, that starts to dry up because it's not getting any more fuel uh, to, to fuel its paranoia. It's somebody's in danger, somebody's being picked on, somebody's being treated this way or that way. So we, by just continuing, return to the cushion, return to the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, train your mind to see clearly. And so eventually you, you see what this is, and you see that this one who's, that the identity of one who sees and what is being seen are not separate. It's, and it's talked about in Yogacara as a, a perception only. But even that doesn't quite do it because we're still using concepts. It's just that you, you, what you're looking at is not separate from you. It's not over there. I mean, it's sure it's over there relatively, but you, you see, you're actually seeing your ultimate nature. Everywhere you look, you see awakening. Nothing sleeps anywhere. The Buddha is everywhere. There isn't anything but awakening. The awakening. There isn't anything but the Buddha. This might sound like some kind of a, a cult or something to be believed in. I would say, don't believe in anything. Don't believe me for sure. Please don't believe me. If you consider what I'm saying, I'm not asking for any belief. Buddhism is not about belief, it's about awareness. Here's on. Here's on by. What is a practical adjustment that isn't petty mind? Give me, give me an idea of what you're talking about. The example that's coming up for me is like the computer setup that we talked about this morning. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like something has to shift there, but in my head, like it just shows up as petty corrections. I'm wondering what makes that something that has to change versus just okay. petty corrections. 
I don't see that as petty. How is that petty to you? I feel like that shows up for me a lot. Um, and it's never clear to me when it's just my petty mind and when it's something that needs to move. Ask me. Which <laughs> you do. Um, I'm not sure what might not be clear on what you're saying about because uh, uh, what was it? Eric, I think Eric Olson uh, sent an email saying complaining about who wasn't he just complained, was complaining, but he's also pointing out because we probably didn't know it, about kind of loud noises showing up on that because of the, the sound suppression or something like that was just not, I don't know, you know what it was in the sky? Volume was too high. Volume was too high, simply put. So I'm not sure what you mean by how you tie that into petty mind. It's just a simple situation where we talk to people and turn the volume down and when you make a larger sign that says turn the volume down. So when you're not here, people will obey. <laughs> yes, but Choosing, I guess it seems like all sorts of things show up as deviations from forms, and you'll encourage us to just look at that as opposed to correct it. So I okay, okay. See, so well, some situations you have to correct them. Otherwise, Eric's going to blow his stack. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be smoke coming out of his ears. And I listened to some of that, and I can see, I'm surprised that someone had said something sooner because he said it's been going on for a long time. Was, did any of you listen to that? Gyokudo did too. Gyokudo, yeah, she, uh, of course, Gyokudo doesn't have a petty mind, so, <laughs> like you do. <laughs> no, it's, it's not petty. No, you just, you, it's a situational thing. You just take care of it. It's not so much correcting. Um, maybe somebody had an oversight. Maybe Nishikai was sleepy this morning, or maybe the person was working with that. Um, and I think the idea of having that on 15 minutes before so people can get a feeling of people are listening to the Han and Bell 15 minutes before, and they get a full experience of coming into to a monastery where people are coming in to meditate or we will chant the sutras or think it's a matter of adjusting. Somebody moves things around and all three you'll notice me moving in the back where I told you they should be. Not really correct me, it's just observing the form with my hand. Moving over there. That makes some sense to you. So the idea is to have some continuity, but it's not based on right and wrong. I'm not, I'm not, you can't ever get if you did right and wrong and just have yeah, might as well might as well all go home. No way you can get this right. So we just, uh, it's a communication, cooperation, collaboration. Uh, Eric communicated. I said, I'll look into it. Um, got that resolved. And now maybe it will be not quite so difficult for people to listen to it. Excuse me, what's the basis for adjustment if it's not right and wrong? Just too far outside uh, the form relative to those people who are having to deal with that form. But right and wrong are just those words, just correct me, correct me. You have to use it a little bit. You could do a minimum, so I would say. If one person was, I think, what was that? Uh, it was Koku, I think, over in the UK. We had to hear Koku listen. And Koku is a very, I don't know if he's listening to this. He might probably not. He probably sound asleep. But he listened and he corrected one word in the sutras that, uh, that was mistyped or something. Was that your fault? So you were wrong? Yeah. See, she was wrong. So Koku corrected it. 
And, and we, we looked at it and, and just a typo, basically. So even though we've been chanting that for several years, I think he was the first one. It wasn't a Japanese person. They don't listen to us because they <laughs> probably don't think we're authentic. Um, and we aren't from the point of view of uh, Soto Shu in Japan. But if they looked at this, they would probably be, uh, what is the word for a gas? But we're doing this uh, because we're kind of a hybrid. This is a hybrid Tibetan lineage, Japanese Soto Shu. And then, however, I see this, what needs to I take whatever it seems like it would be helpful to people. But things that just seem like a bunch of empty forms, we don't do those. So, I don't know. I think more, it might be more about your um, maybe fixation or something in your mind that insists on that some things are right and some things are wrong based on what? Just relativity. See it? But what? Excuse me, where is that boundary of too far outside the form? So the best way I can respond to that is awareness. You have to be aware of the entire form itself to see that this was pretty obvious here. If you were to hear that yourself, if you were to tune in, uh, like what I suggest that we do is have somebody listen to this and make sure that we're not sending out into the YouTube or Zoom or wherever a bunch of cracking. Uh, if you heard that, it would, I, I doubt you'd sit back and just say, well, I'm not going to correct anything because, you know, that would be bad. So when I say don't correct, I'm just, all I'm trying to do is get you to put a little bit of a tether, a little bit of a, of a lunge line on that, on that pony so that, that it stays in that circularity. When I say circularity, I'm saying the form. After you do the form in the morning, you go back to bed and you have to do another form. Just, just to make sure that that doesn't have too many bumps in it. Does it make some more sense to you, or so you're still having difficulty with right and wrong? I think so. Do, do you think it's just, yeah, it's not clear to me still where. So you can, you can observe the form with your eyes, ears, nose. See, you can observe that form. So, not to go too far into it, but just like, for instance, uh, when I call, often refer to is a, is a, what's your name again? Shoka? Shoka, when he was first coming up to Alder, uh, it was years ago. How many years ago? Five years ago? Seven or eight years ago. He would come up to the altar, and when he would get through with uh, putting up, outer incense on the burning charcoal for the morning service, uh, he would go like this, He'd brush it off, and I would watch him do that. And I, I knew that was not part of the form, but then I, I didn't know exactly what to do, because it's not about correcting that, based on that, it was extra. Uh, but anybody who does a form, if you watch closely, everyone has a certain kind of thing that they do a little bit different in every form. The one that shows up the most in is, uh, is chanting. There's just no way you can chant that the same way. Uh, say uh, anybody that you can't. You have to chant it the way you chant it with some instruction. So he was going like this. I watched that for I don't know maybe three or four months. He wasn't doing it every day, but anytime he would come up, he would go through that. And at that time, I, I couldn't see anything particular wrong. 
when I say right one, I'm just saying it was, it was too far away from the forum at that time. What, what let me know, because I was observing and receiving it, not that I'm such a great observer, sometimes I'm full of petty mind myself, otherwise I wouldn't know about this stuff. But I, then I think it was Sensu who came up and I saw her do the same thing. It's almost like she saw him and said, oh, that's how you get the incense. Uh, yeah, the incense off your fingers. <laughs> what a dirty altar. This <laughs> 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 disgusting place. So I was surprised to put it even come here. So it's probably oh, just that dirty gesture. So I think then that's when I, because of the condition, the situation, then it was time to, not because anything was wrong, it's just a form of showing up in a way that you see everyone would be doing that. Just like there's certain forms that people do that uh, get copied that aren't so bad, and they're, they're a little bit confused. And so then, uh, I just looked up. I don't know that I, I didn't scold you or anything like that. Right. No, I said, stop doing that. I said, if you want to get the incense off, it, you just do it discreetly, go with it. Make sure you don't get it all in the road, but not. <laughs> so that would be, I've used that example several times because uh, I don't change things unless I see, yeah, I see it. See if it's what it would be. And uh, like what uh, Eric was pointing out uh, in his uh, text to me this morning was a uh, didn't need to look at that. I mean, I, I didn't need to see that happen again. It was obvious that was preaching, um, nose blowing, <laughs> really loud. I didn't know what it was. Did anybody? We won't embarrass anybody. Further questions? Okay, you can call it then. Thank you so much for coming. Practicing with us. Thank you for your questions. Um, friends and visitors, to everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering in the of life. If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokokoji.org.